Keith, there were some very serious charges leveled against you on Twitter this week. Uh, I want to read those to you. Fuck you, Grant Wall. Everything you've ever written is stupid and uninteresting. Shut up. Piss off. You're a moron. Keith, did you say those things? I guess so. I'm Mike Wallace. I'm Morley Safer. I'm Harry Reasoner. I'm Ed Bradley. I'm Diane Sawyer. Those stories and Andy Rooney tonight on 60 Minutes. Clean cut, but morally corrupt. It's forwards, backwards podcast. Not from the corner of Glenway Monroe and not from the Gimme Some Truth Studios. This week we say goodbye to Daryl Shore, Hart Park, and the 2020 season. As always, I'm joined by the Kate Jackson and Farrah Fawcett to my Jacqueline Smith, Kyle Carr, the hardest working man in Madison sports podcasting, and Dan Fallon, who has been in off-season mode since the preseason. Kyle, Dan, who scored more? IX last week? Wayne Rooney when Colleen was last out of town or Ryan Giggs at a family reunion. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think. Mate, oh, uh, uh, come back Rooney, to me. I'll think, I'll think of an answer. How long was Colleen out of town for? It was like a week, I think. And, and, okay. And, uh, like, you Rooney, know, Rooney, Rooney seems like a little bit of a lazy dude. So if it was just like an overnight, definitely he would not. 13 times would be way too much for a guy of his, his energy levels. I'm just thinking of the, the famous incident where the car, you know, got smashed up. And then two weeks later, you know, he has to show up on the, on the pitch for Everton wearing angry birds on his sleeve. <laughs> That's, you know, really one of my favorite sporting moments of the last 50 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to still go with Ajax because, you know, especially considering nine of those goals were in the second half. It went from, this game is a blowout, but, you know, it is what it is, to what happened? Did you just give up? Did you, did you, did, who took over the FIFA controls and just decided to move all the sliders? That's well, kind of the second Kyle, you, I saw 9-0 when you texted our group, and I jokingly said, oh, did they get 10? And then I went and checked <laughs> later, and it was 13. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. And I love that uh, Fat Mob wouldn't give that guy – a 10 out of 10. <laughs> he, got, he got a 9.9 for, I think it was five goals and four assists. Is that right? It, yeah. If, like there, that. if there's one thing I appreciate, it's that level of petty. That's like, <laughs> you know, Babe Ruth up for the baseball hall of fame. And that, that one guy is like, no, I, I don't vote for somebody on the first ballot, not a first ballot hall of famer. That's, that's too much. You gotta, you gotta earn your stripes to get on the, into the hall of fame. Uh, so uh. Yeah, that was, uh, that was quite a match. Uh, so, you know, we had a Can couple I, of matches. Know, speaking of baseball, speaking of baseball, I just want to make one comment. I, I watched, I think about two and a half innings of the world series last night, which for me is like watching an entire 162 game season at this point. But there was a play at third base where the guy slid into third base and he was safe, but he may have left you know, there may have been about a millisecond or two milliseconds where after he had slid through, his hands kind of came off the base before his legs hit the base. 
and they reviewed it and they decided he was safe. But the, the announcers made the point that, that uh, the replay is not really meant to find like these minuscule microscopic little, like he was obviously safe. It was a baseball play. He didn't try to run away from the bag. He just kind of popped up for like, you know, a hair, a split hair second. And I was thinking, Oh, wouldn't that be nice if soccer could use a little bit of common sense when it comes to the, uh, the VAR review? I don't know what you're talking about. VAR is perfectly fine when not used by white English dudes. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> that is I mean, true. I, and that's the thing. People keep forgetting, you know, there's a lot of hate for it, obviously. The 2018 World Cup basically went off without a hitch with VAR. VAR did very well that whole tournament. I rarely remember thinking it was causing any issues. It seemed to clear up the major issues that were that were plaguing the game before, although I was very happy Frank Lampard's goal did not count in 2014. Um, but it can be used correctly. It's just being applied in a very, very uh, poor way, particularly in England. Let's be honest. The English are rapidly approaching the Americans in the class of people who – maybe should not be allowed to govern themselves. Uh, you know, they're, they're right up there. Maybe, maybe we hand it over to a third-party administrator at this point. The UN comes in, takes over the UK, takes over the United States, gets us back in order, you know, supervises what's our going on in, based, on, based on what's going on in Chile, maybe we need the Chileans to sponsor a coup in our country and help us rewrite our uh, constitution. I'm just saying, maybe we're due for being cooed after doing that to <laughs> all of Latin America for the last 40, 50 years. Do heard it here for, first. You heard it here first, people. Yeah. We are due for being cooed. By the way, I, I'm just going to – I'm just going to – I like the rhyme of do for being cooed. <laughs> uh, if we ever get T-shirts, maybe we should put that on those T-shirts. Uh, you know, and I just want to say, here we are, once again, lowering the discourse. We We are – Lowering the discourse. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, we talked to the legal stylist, and he just he he insists that we not address anything to do with a certain fellow named Pant Stall, uh, who. Right now, where he gets snitch tagged again. Way to go! Yeah, uh, and and I did bring that that up, uh, Kyle. Do you care to discuss the concept of of snitch tagging with the general public, who may not be as Twitter friendly as you are? Basically, snitch tagging is when you go out of your way to tag someone in a conversation that they were never a part of. Most of the time, it's when you're talking about someone and someone has to jump in and let the other person know so that they can see what has been said or tweeted about them. That is yeah. snitch tagging. And that happened last week. <laughs> that happened last week with a certain Gant, uh, Gant fall. Uh, who who got snitch tagged, or we got snitch tagged? Uh, what's amazing about old uh, about old stant about old stant stant ball is he went in and only listened to the segment of the podcast where he was talked about, which is just levels of pathetic that I cannot even begin to acknowledge. Oh, uh, we're doing this again. Keith, before we got on the air, I said we're not going to talk about him. And here we are talking about it. We did not talk about, we did not talk, we did not talk about Kant. We're, we're digging ourselves in a hole. We're done with this. <laughs> we did not talk I'm, about Kant's all. Uh, I'm with so, Kyle. I'm with two Kyle. matches last week, uh, a loss and a win. Uh, the match against uh, North Texas 
ends uh, one nothing to the visitors from North Texas. Oh one, if you're following the traditional soccer scoring on a non-existent. By the way, let's uh, let's go from you know to to kind topics, uh, topics everyone appreciates. Bitching about the refs. That's a non-controversial <laughs> topic on this podcast. Uh, Non-PK. Non Anybody I, care I, I, explain you know, Both of my teams seem to have gotten penalized for following players outside the box, resulting in penalties. I don't know where that idea was that it was a pen. And the funny thing is, in the Revs 2 game, there was a foul in the exact same spot. In the literally the exact same spot, not a penalty. Like it should, like it's correct. Ugh, it was, you, you, especially after the six minutes of Stop China had passed through, you figured there wasn't going to be one more attack. There's still one more attack, and there's conveniently was a penalty. I was, I'm still trying to figure out where the six minutes of, of stoppage time came from. I know last year, Dan, stoppage time was one of your, your hobby horses. That you got on, but uh, Arturo Rodriguez spent like five minutes on the ground, so that was probably where the six minutes came from. And they're still doing hydration breaks despite the fact that it's thirty-five degrees in Wisconsin. Well, we discussed that you have to go and you have to get your warm, your warm mug of cider, your maybe cider, some hot chocolate cider. Yeah, yeah, your mold. Uh, uh, custom, you know, the one thing, crafted the one thing in that small I find, matches. <laughs> the one thing that I find frustrating, and I know this this is something that gets talked about kind of all over the world, but. You know, the fact that the referees don't have to explain the call to the fans after the game. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of research out there that shows that this would be more problematic. But in particular in an instance here where the referee clearly made the right call initially, every, every if you watch it back, he clearly is not giving a penalty. He is pointing to the ground, giving the yellow card. And then decides to go talk to the AR. Um, and, you know, so I would just like to know at what point, like that AR could say for absolute certain, which on that field with all those lines, no one can say for certain where anything is. Um, but what's also mind boggling to me is why did he pull the yellow card back? It's still, that's still a yellow card. Well, well he, he, he pulled the yellow card back from Jiro, right? And gave it to no, he, but Ovalle kicked the ball at the player after the foul was called. I think that's why there's a yellow is because of Ovalle kicking the ball after. I don't think it was. But that would have been his. Foul. Wasn't that his second yellow? And, and then he, he got he got sent anyway. off, right? No, no. Ah, then never mind. More it's confusion there. That's what that's what I'm saying. Like there was a lot going on there that like it. It's so hard to speculate. Like what was the what kind? How did they come to that conclusion? from what happened and what's, you know, and again, what's really frustrating is he got it right. Initially, he absolutely had it right. Um, I mean, those are always tricky, but you know, and to, to go back to the letter of the law, it's where the, the, the foul contact is initiated. The one point where I thought, well, maybe, you know, there, there were two grabs basically from, from Ovalle, right? There was the first one and then he brought the other arm in. Now, regardless, let's be clear, regardless of the PK or not, Dumb foul from Ovalle. Yeah. Um, yep. Just stupid late in the game with Brady back there, not in a dangerous angle, you know, all of those things. Um, the only thing I speculated was maybe when he brought the second arm in, that's what was the foul. But even then, 
that looks like it started outside of the box as well. So it's it's uh, just very frustrating. Yeah, it and was almost and almost gave them an opportunity to get into the championship game. I mean, for you know, we'll get to that, get to the set. I mean, for a little, for a few minutes, it was like, oh wow, that might actually, yeah, a consequential moment in the season for for a lot of teams. Yeah, and right. for us, you know, it's kind of meaningless. It's us just whining at this point. I think about that call. <laughs> well, that also broke the streak because Ford Madison had not lost at home all season. Yep. It costing Chris Brady a potential golden glove. Like and there were ramifications that weren't as significant as, you know, a place in finals, but you know, there's still a golden glove. There's still, you know, a home record to keep intact. There's still factors that went into it. No. And, and obviously as we, we saw, you know, today, uh, a win, a draw might've looked a little bit different for, for Daryl Shore. Um, though, uh, we, we can discuss that, um, you know, w- would it have made a difference? Did did those results down the stretch make a difference? Um, and, you know, so the, for those of you who, you know, are just kind of catching up on your forward Madison news, uh, the announcement came from the club this morning at about 10-10 that uh, head coach Daryl Shore, who was the inaugural uh, coach last year, uh, led the team to the playoffs, and then this year led them to a, a seventh-place finish, uh, was – uh, by mutual consent is what the club said, left his duties. Uh, he had a two-year contract. The club elected not to renew the contract. Daryl, uh, in an article with uh, Madison.com with uh, Jason Joyce, I believe, said he was essentially heartbroken, That uh, indicating that, uh, you know, uh, th- there's a, a, a lyric from a, a French rap group that says, we broke up by uh, mutual accord she was just more d'accord than I was. Um, and that's what happened here, I think, with, with uh, Coach Shore. So uh, before we get into the, the ins and outs of that, um, any initial thoughts, Kyle, Dan, about uh, Coach Shore? Yeah, I, it's really unfortunate. Obviously, you don't want to see people lose work. And Daryl has been a great person, great for the Madison community to come in. I tweeted it, but to be the first head coach of a brand new team is already difficult. And he handled that getting them to the playoffs. And then to follow up the next year, you have a pandemic, you're training in the Wisconsin Dells, you're playing games in Maltosa. It was definitely a tough hand that was dealt. And it's kind of a bummer. I feel like if there was a full season and they still finished seventh, then you can slightly understand it. But at the same time, it is a business. And we know that the owners are trying to do what it takes to get this team to compete for a championship and it's a little bit tough when you look around and all the peers that you had when you started last year have surpassed you besides torment and OCB. And then you have a new team in Omaha that comes in year one, finishes second, makes the final. And it's kind of like you're getting passed up by your peers and they, and some of them like Greenville or Texas seem to be gaining distance on you. So it's kind of tough when you're watching everyone else improve while you've kind of either stagnated or got worse Plus, I think the turgidity of the attack did not do him any favors as well. Um, just the product not being as entertaining. You know, I've, we've said this to Connor Coy a bunch of times. The on-field product is not matching what they're doing off the field. For all the good work they've done with the kids, for all the good work they do with the community and their social media, marketing, all of that, the on-field is not catching up to it. And 
you know, when other teams fans are saying that you're more of a fashion brand than a soccer team, it somewhat is true. But I guess then again, I maybe you'd rather be a fashion brand than a soccer team that blows a playoff chance. I don't know. But, you know, the last <laughs> month of results, I've, I don't think it was the North Texas game that really did Daryl. And I think it was that last month where you're looking and you lose the Tucson, you draw to Tucson, draw, yeah, drawing those two and against Tucson and Red Wolves drawing against Omaha with the perplexing stuff. It was like that last month was kind of when you had, even if we didn't think there was a chance, there was still a mathematical chance to kind of falter and stumble and draw your way to the end. It is kind of tough. So I get it with, in terms of the business sense and the, you know, sporting sense, it is just kind of rough because, you know, it was tough for Daryl and I think he's going to find work pretty soon. He's a good guy and wish him the best. Dan, any, uh, anything to add to that? Well, I, you know, Kyle, I think you made a really good point about if you look at the table, the only other independent team below us is Tormenta. Um, so, you know, it's hard to know what, what metrics that Connor and the ownership group is using to kind of judge, you know, cause it's hard. There's, it's still a second seat, you know, it's still a new league. There's a lot of kind of fluidness about teams and who's coming and who's going Obviously, you add in <clears throat> this is a completely bizarre season with what they've had to deal with. Uh, so it gets a little tough to say, like, well, you know, what are we what are we using as the yardstick here? I think, you know, points per game is down from last year a little bit. I think we were on 1.5 last year, about 1.3 this year. The performance is on the field. I think, as you said, it, it was it was a little tough to watch at certain points in the season, you know, it was early on, it was rough. I think we'll give them a pass early in the season because they really didn't have a chance to practice 11 v 11 before the first game. I think maybe once or twice. Uh, and then they seem to find their feet, but then, you know, same thing. And it's not that Daryl can't coach. I mean, I think last year he showed an ability to change the way the team played to get results down the stretch. I think we, you know, he, he, maybe didn't want to agree with us as much as, as, as I think is true, but they did, they switched their shape. They, they, they figured out a way to kind of maximize what they had. So I don't think it's a case of him not being able to coach. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. And I clearly, it doesn't sound like he really wanted to go. Um, so, you know, mutually decided is, is tough when one side says we're not giving you a contract. Um, you know, and the other thing is there's a lot of rumblings about, you know, what is this team going to look like player-wise next year? And maybe the ownership group is sitting there saying, you know, well, listen, it's time to kind of move into phase two of this. You know, we had two seasons out of the blocks that went okay. Uh, we want more. And that means, you know, new leadership for the team and new players. And um, But overall, I mean, I, I got to work with Daryl for, you know, a short amount of time, but he's, he's a really good guy. He really cares. Um, he's been great with us. Very. Um, he's been very uh, generous with his time coming on the podcast for episodes that never even aired. Um, so very, you know, we wish him the best um, and it's a results business. And, you know, this, this kind of stuff happens. Uh, and as I said, before we got on the pod, it kind of feels like we're a real club now. Like we, we've, uh, we've, <laughs> We fired our first coach, uh, and now everyone's asking the questions of where the next coach is going to come from. And, um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what direction the ownership goes. Is it a young up-and-coming coach? Is it someone who, 
you know, has a name. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, but, um, best of luck to Daryl and his family. And, um, I know we'll miss him here in Madison. So uh, there are a couple of things that I, I want to bring up and, and, you know, we've, we've talked about the turgidity of the attack, you know, we've created our own scale. Um, but I, I think we were careful the whole time to, uh, kind of remind listeners of, of the challenges that the, the team was facing by virtue of the fact that they weren't playing at home. They had to travel to Wisconsin Dells to, to play their matches, you know, and I, I think, uh, Depending on the day, if you ask any member of this, uh, you know, podcast, should we have even had a, a 2020 season? Uh, you may, you know, you're going to get an answer of, of no. Not just uh, Kyle on match days when we've lost in cruel and or heartbreaking fashion, but also, you know, in, in the middle of the week. Um, none of us attended a match at, at Hart Park uh, for a variety of reasons, but, you know, uh, mine is laziness crossed with you know i just i still have a hard time believing we're, we're competing uh and and playing this year no matter what um sort of precautions are, are taking place and so from from that point of view when you look at all the technical challenges and you know coaches like bill belichick get get mocked for being you know kind of crazy control freaks but every coach if they're worth their salt as a control freak and so this year from the, the perspective of Daryl having to go up to the Dells, adding just another variable, because what you want is the ability when you step out on the training pitch, that's the only issue you have. And, and I made the joke, you know, this is probably unique for, for Daryl and that he's never had to schedule a JV bus to Fort Atkinson, you know, before this year. And so when you, you know, when we traditionally do this and, and, and uh, you know, evaluate coaches, we evaluate them on results. And Kyle, you use the, the term, it's a business. And I think ultimately, in some sense, that's where a lot of these decisions are going to be made over the next several months. I think if we're operating in, in a perhaps more normal environment, uh, if Daryl came through with the same result, we might be talking about you know, uh, should he, should he go, should he stay in different terms? Um, but one thing, you know, uh, that they may be thinking is Daryl is a coach with a pedigree. He's, you know, been in MLS. He's been an interim coach there. He has, you know, coach head coached at, at a variety of level. He was an assistant coach with the Chicago fire for, for 10 years when, and I think this is going to be the same discussions they're going to have up and down the roster because, uh, you know, look, I, I haven't seen the books. I don't get any inside information, but the, the club is hemorrhaging money would be my, you know, definite take. And so I think part of the reason that, that Daryl was let go is the, the, the business side of things they looked at and they went, well, the results aren't justifying the cost. And I wonder, you know, or by I, I mean the, the business side, the owners say to themselves, I think we can do it cheaper, if not better, right? We're not, we're not getting the results, so let's see if we can't do it cheaper. And I also think, you know, this yeah, has I been – oh. Go ahead. No, I, I was going to say this has been one of the things that we've been going back and forth about Kyle and Dan as we look towards the offseason as well. Yeah, I was going to say um, with the – but it's kind of tough to know who's going to come in and kind of be that replacement because if you think of names that pop in your head – 
you have someone like Eric Winalda who has coached in lower leagues, but that seems to be someone that has a lot of red flags that you don't want to mess with. Otherwise, there's someone like David Bulo who was at Richmond, but you know the reasons why he was let go at Richmond is because it seemed like the team wasn't as attacking as they should be, which is the issue that Ford Madison has. Maybe you think of a guy like Nate Miller, but is he really going to want to leave his nice job in San Diego where he's more or less coaching the team while being behind the scenes? It's just kind of tough where thinking of a name that's going to be out there is going to be tough. So it's just a matter of who are they going to look at? I know the club said they're doing an international search, whatever that means. Um, But I think it's going to be, like you said, Keith, do they do it cheaper and hope to get the same results or better or you know, because it's going to be, I think between that and which players are coming back, maybe the new coach is just going to want to bring in a whole new set of players. And that's going to, that's possibly where the money goes. So it, it'll be interesting to see, but I, I don't know about names that are going to be out there just because, you know, it is lower league soccer. So unless you start perusing through those that have been in that area, and most of them are probably been fired by now, or they are in a gig that you're, they're not going to leave. So I mean, I have a couple names in my head and we can always get back to that later, but yeah, that was what I was going to say about that. Well, and related to names, not names. I mean, you look at uh, last year, Jay Miller at Lansing, they were the number two team in the league in terms of the standings. Jay Miller came out of, uh, and I'm going to be very careful how I put this, the middle of nowhere in soccer terms. Uh, You know, Jay Miller was not on anybody's radar. And I think, you know, if you look at that higher before the season starts, you're like, well, they just went for somebody in their backyard. They're like, what's the easiest option down the road? Likewise, you know, you look at uh, Union Omaha and they, Mims is a coach, you know, from their backyard that, you know, was young. And, and, you know, so there is a precedent for clubs going out and getting younger. Um, this is one of the interesting things as well to my mind, Dan, is – the front office, you know, so Daryl took over and he was the technical director. He was in charge of the soccer side of things. Before that, you had Peter kind of helping Daryl and, and getting things in into place with it. Right now, the front office has, and I'm going to, you know, about zero big time soccer experience. Connor Kaloya has zero experience in doing this. So where are we bringing, you know, where are we bringing a coach in from? How are we doing that? Where's the expertise? Um, not you just the names, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, no. And I think, the, the, you know, you're absolutely right. I think um, this is this is a, a major, uh, va- there's a major vacuum right now in, in terms of who has the soccer knowledge. A, a Dyson at the top of the, <laughs> yeah. the, the club. You know, this... And Keith, I think you, you know, in our, some of our, you know, text messaging, you've maybe alluded to this, but I think, you know, hopefully this is a time they can lean on some of the contacts they've made the last couple of years with Minnesota and with, with Chicago. Um, so Chicago, get- Chicago, I, I have a little bit more faith in, in Vicky than, uh, or Wiki than uh, in uh, in Adrian Heath, for instance. Well, I'm not maybe not Adrian Heath specifically, but maybe like the Manny Lagoses of the world, who you know were more kind of the Jeff Agu, yeah, yeah they're involved on the back end of of the of the partnership. But you would hope that they might be able to service some names for you, give you some guidance on on how to go about doing this. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess in our backyard, you have. You have John Trask. Um, I've 
I saw that Badger team from a few years ago that now has, is it five players on MLS rosters? They weren't all that interesting to watch. I hate to say that. They were, they were an athletic team that played the ball long and they won second balls and they got the ball to Chris Muller, Mueller or whatever and let him go at people. They weren't, it wasn't a pleasing brand of soccer and, to watch. And, and, and most college Denver soccer is not. Well, and, and Trask from his days at UIC has played a that that match. I mean, I think yeah. you know that UIC team led the country in turgidity, and and the UW <laughs> is not far behind. So yeah, and I'm not, and that's not that's not a criticism. Soccer. He just has a that's not a criticism. He just has a way he wants to play, and so it's a know, criticism for me. It's it's terrible to watch. Well, it's a criticism for me too. But I own know. it, Dan. Well, it's just Jose. It's just Jose Bald. Yeah. It's not Listen, pretty, but sometimes gotta, it gets, it gets it done. Keep, <laughs> as today's news shows us, you got to do things to keep your job in professional sports and in college sports. So what I'm saying is I wouldn't want a coach to play like that, but I understand why he does it, and he's, he's had success doing it. I think it should rule him out of being the forward, man, forward Madison manager because I think they've made it clear they want to play an up-tempo – exciting brand of soccer to match what they're doing off the pitch and to match kind of the, the quote unquote fun side of the club. So that to me makes him a bit of a long shot. Um, I don't know who's coaching Edgewood these days. They haven't had all that much success. Um, look at Paula Wilkins, the women's coach who actually played more entertaining style and that had brought results. If you want to go to a UW Madison coach. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I, I dread the notion that we're looking to the college game for a coach. Um, unless we well, go, we're just, I think the, we're just speculating around yeah. some of the other teams uh, out of the mainstream. Uh, we did, however, prepare a list of, of five possible coaches. Um, and I think number five actually is probably moving up with a bullet. Uh, Paisley is super excited by number five. I think Jurgen Klinsman is the obvious choice here. You want someone that's going to come in and challenge the status quo. We we were severely lacking in Buddha statues in the locker room. I think if you ask Turbo, if you ask Daryl, there were no Buddha statues in the locker room. So I think Jurgen is is five with a bullet. We already I will say with Jurgen Klinsman, he may not be the best coach, but he can find talent. That's true. Yeah, all all of a sudden, we'll, we'll we'll have a roster full of guys who like lived in Madison for four and a half minutes while their parents were in grad school. And we'll just say the entire team is like locally grown, raised. It'll be amazing. We'll just be a team full of Madisonians. We're going to our own uh, Basque country version here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's going to just stretch that limit. They, so who, who's the player Who's the player he unceremoniously dumps right before the final? Would it be like Turbo? He like cuts Turbo the night before the championship game? No, it'd be uh, Mike Fang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not going to get rid of the defender. He's got to get rid of the guy that's you know scoring goals. Um, I I also think you know uh, uh, number four we've already suggested Eric Winalda. Number three, if we're talking John Trask, why not go for the original? Let's put it out there. Get Jose Mourinho. Um, I think that's that's the the you know the name that you got to get. Number two, we also suggested. Some random dude with an English accent, and we, we, I had a lot of those. I had a lot of those coaches growing up. 
Yeah, and you in fact suggested one of your random dudes with an English accent, but you're going to make a case for this guy. Uh, well, no, I said, I, so first of all, the guy, the guy is, his name is Mark Steffens. Uh, he's actually American. Uh, he does not have an English accent. He was actually probably the best coach I had growing up. He, after he left, uh, he was my high school coach. Uh, he went on to, um, the, I can't remember what, the, the Charlotte team uh, that played in, I think, USL. He was there for a long time. I think he won a couple of championships with them. And then he ended up with Pittsburgh with the Riverhounds uh, for two years in USL. And then most recently was the coach of Stumptown Athletic, which folded very quickly in Nisa this summer. I, I, you know, Mark's 67 years old. I don't know if he's looking to relocate to Madison, Wisconsin, but uh, he was basically the only USL coach that I can think of. And then my other club coach was Paul Riley, who coaches the uh, North Carolina Courage, but uh, I don't particularly like him. So, and he is a random guy with an English accent. Uh, I don't think he's going to leave his uh, no basically no. bulletproof safe job. <laughs> yes, correct, correct. I, I fully agree with that. So the list goes on. The, the search goes on for another random English. Uh, I think Big Sam is still free. I think Sam and look, we bring him in as Sam Allardiche. We really he's the, waiting for West Brom to sack Slavin Bilic and then save them from relegation. He's waiting for that to happen. I mean, without, without a away kit, I wouldn't go there. The other thing I'm going to say that we can draw Big Sam to here, I think we offer an excellent pint glass of wine. Get some of that Wollersheim winery, and you can dump that into a pint glass of wine, and Big Sam is going to be very, very happy. Uh, Al Ardice as well gives us an international flair that apparently we're looking for in, in the management. Now, we all know who the true number one candidate is, but we have to, before we go to this guy, obviously it's a Madison coaching job. And so I think Barry Alvarez gets right of first refusal. So he can, he can just kind of come in and say, oh, you know, it's a Madison coaching job. Do I want this? No. And then, you know, it, it opens, goes on to the open market. He has, he has like territorial rights for, for the jobs here in Madison. Um, he's got to cover up the grammar's positive tests. He can't, he's got to cover up the second one so that they, he can play. He, he is a little bit busy, though. This would, if, if we did a Ted Lasso-esque series about Barry Alvarez taking over forward Madison, I believe covering up, distracting from the test might work well as a, like, motivating force. Look, the real answer, we all know this, Jesse Marsh. I mean, number one, 1A, pull out, the, you know, pull out all the stops, even if, even if it's just remotely, even if he's just coaching via video while coaching Salzburg full-time, I'm okay with this. I don't think our seasons, you know, our seasons aren't going to be directly overlapping. So I think he can you know, do a, like a summer school course. With forward Maybe he's getting a little tired of these these Champions League midweek games. He's getting tired of selling his best players to bigger tired, clubs. Tired I think having a, an espresso in the locker room before a big Champions League, <laughs> Carlo Ancelotti. He's tired of all that. He wants to get back to his roots, and that's why we're here. Bring him home. <laughs> Sign Marsh. Sign Marsh. Um, I, I think is the only you know option. A uh, couple other, you know, any other thoughts on 
uh, where you see the, the search going. I, I mean, I, I'm hoping, in some sense, I always hope when you go into these that we're not going to get a retread. I hope we get somebody new and young, I think, um, you know, somewhere from, from somewhere else in, in U.S. soccer than maybe the, the, the mainstream, um, you know, that we might get somebody young and, and interesting. Um, I think if you look at how Jay Mims has, has played out, if you look at how Jay Miller has, has played out, you know, those are both interesting candidates that I don't think would have been most people's first choices had they not been in that area. Um, I, I, I'm not saying like we need to look local, but, um, you know, uh, look for somebody kind of undiscovered, you know, the, for a long time in Wisconsin, if you were to ask me who the best coach was in the state of Wisconsin, I would say it was Toby Barris from the university of Wisconsin, Oshkosh. Uh, he's now old and, and in his retirement age ish. So it's not going to be him, but, you know, thinking along those lines, looking beyond, you know, D one American coaches, because I think a lot of the, the guys in, in the lower divisions are better coaches and play a, a better version of, of soccer as well. Uh, Paisley has, has lost her mind at, at the firing. She just can't handle it. Well, I was going to say, you know, for, for a young coach in particular, um, this is a, I mean, listen, this is a good opportunity for any coach that's looking to get into USL either league one or championship, you know, it's a great, it's a great spot with great fans, a great place to play. Uh, it should be relatively easy to attract players here. Now, again, the pandemic and all these things are, you know, we, I don't think we want to sit here and, and, uh, and just do 20 minutes on the, the, you know, what the real financial impacts of all this could be next season. But I mean, I think for a coach that's willing to come here and kind of buy into the whole, you know, the whole community ethos of the club and what supporters, how they're involved with the club. There's just, there's still just a lot of positives um, to coming to Madison. So I don't, you know, I get the feeling that it won't, they won't be, you know, they won't be bereft of opportunity or bereft of choices of people. Uh, I think it's about finding, finding the right fit. And, you know, I would, you know, I could also, envision, you know, kind of older coaches who are a little bit more set in their ways might not like kind of all of the stuff that goes on around the club. They might find it a little distracting. Um, you know, some people, you know, get a little too uh, conservative about how they view things. Whereas I think if you, you buy into this in the right way and have fun with it and then produce on the field, this is going to be as good a place to win as anywhere else. I mean, the, if, you know, the fan, like just looking at last season, I mean, if you take the Lansing trip um, as an example, I mean, look what you could build here. If you could win a championship or win a couple championships or keep going on deep runs in the U.S. Open Cup, uh, there's just incredible amount of enthusiasm. It's going to need to be rebuilt, you know, a little bit next season, given that this was almost like a year off. But uh, I think there's still a lot of positives to being the head coach of Florida Madison. Uh, I I would agree. I mean, I'm ho hoping those those positives are all still there. That's I think ultimately one of the harder things too. That as you said, we we rebuilding a little bit coming in. I mean, if if the world returns, and I am capitalizing and putting in, you know, seventy two point Futura, if uh, things return to normal next year, um, there's still going to be a lot of work in in rebuilding the the sort of spirit of of the club. Um, it's hard to maintain that virtually hard to maintain it when 
you know, you're not, you're not on match days. I mean, I think as well, you know, all of us are, uh, no, you guys have been content. I have exp- expressed that, you know, some of my irritation comes from, you know, just watching soccer on artificial turf on TV is, uh, you know, an abomination to me, um, you know, and so you can get away with that in person in the Bree Stevens atmosphere, but it just loses something. And, and, you know, so the club has lost something, everything, you know, the, the momentum, all of that we've lost. And so, you know, one thing that I hope uh, moving into, you know, 2021 uh, is that the club doesn't take for granted or just assume that, you know, 2021 is going to be like the inaugural season kind of automatically. Um, now you could argue that this, this choice, uh, you know, w- would reflect that they're, they're pushing forward, but we still don't know who they're going to replace it with. So that's why I'm, I'm, you know, a little, little more cautious going forward. I, I just, I think that the financial imperatives are going to be very, very strong this off season. And so, whatever team we see will be, uh, you know, perhaps assembled on a, on a lower cost than we've seen in the past. Um, any, any sort of final thoughts uh, on all of this before we, we kind of wrap up next week, uh, hoping to have Peter Wilt on the podcast to talk a little bit about his new project, talk a little bit about these transitions maybe that he's seeing and to provide a little bit of a bigger picture. Uh, and then also in the, in the near future, we're hoping to have uh, our good friend Rob Chapel on the podcast to, to give us uh, sort of his favorite uh, stories of the season. Um, anything else uh, from, from the two of you before we, uh, we say good night? I guess I have a list of coaches personally that I would like to see, but whoever is brought in at least has an identity and hopefully the team can play to said identity. I think Richmond is the best example where they brought in Schwatsky and he said, this is what we're going to do. And they did it. And I think that even though Richmond didn't make the final, they at least got the fans excited. They at least made the games worth watching. And I think that's something that, you know, that's going to reinvigorate for Madison fans, whether it's at Breeze or Hart Park or Lake Mills or Rockford, wherever they play. I I think that they have an identity and play to said identity that's going to be enough for a lot of these fans because I think a lot of people recognize that it was tough. Yeah. Like you said, Keith, it was tough to watch this team um, for multiple weeks and, you know, just gives us getting something exciting worth watching is going to go a ways. And I think while Connor Cloy might not have the soccer background, I think what he tried doing is putting the people that have it in power. And hopefully that carries on where you find someone that knows what they're doing and lets them, again, try and run the show. I think if he, if Connor at least allows that to happen, it's going to, it's going, I think it's going to work out. It's going to pay dividends. And, you know, maybe those same players that are on a lower budget perform up to standards. You know, I think someone like Jiro, you know, I, he might've been someone that may not have gotten the initial higher salary, but he played really well. Noah Fusan, someone that I was saying for, and we've been saying for weeks, you know, off the ball, he's doing it. He's trying and he kind of saw it when he got the goal. It's like he came in, he nearly brought enough energy, gets the goal. Maybe these are the type of players that you got to get is those that have something to prove. So whatever happens, it'll be interesting. Um, I think it was already going to be curious which players come back. And now, depending on the coaching staff, that might have more clarity. 
Dan, any, any last thoughts? Um, what I'd like to say is uh, very sincerely a, a thank you to, to Daryl as well. Um, as Dan mentioned at the top, he was extremely generous with his time. Um, even when we were, Dan and I were a couple of bumbling idiots uh, on this podcast, um, more me on the bumbling idiot than Dan in terms of trying to record and get, get things scheduled and, and all that. Um, he, his professionalism shown through and he's a guy that just loves to, to talk soccer. I think he would have, uh, you know, you could have probably invited him out, uh, to, a, to a bar back when we could go to bars on a random Tuesday at five 30 for no other reason than you wanted to talk soccer and swap stories with him. Um, and so from that perspective, um, you know, his passion for the game, his love of the game, his love of forward Madison, you know, of this community, will we'll certainly be missed. So uh, we'll say in, until next time, forwards, not backwards, upwards, not forwards, and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom. 